When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, episode 108. Hey guys, we sat down with uh, the founder of the Mindstrong Project, Harvey Martin. Uh, Harvey was a pitcher at Minnesota State University. We got his master's degree in sports performance. Um, he also played in the Brewers organization. Um, and he does seminars with businesses, with athletes, with all types of of people in the world and his kind of focus his key aside from how to eat the right things how to move the right way it's about the art and the science of breathing we got so many good nuggets on uh, an element of your performance which you might not be thinking about but it, it really it's the center it, it controls everything the art and science of breath so i took a ton of notes i have some tools that i'm going to use to help optimize uh maximize my skills using a breath so guys sit back take a listen take some notes let's learn from the founder of the mind strong project harvey martin what's up everyone welcome to master mindset podcast we have a special guest today one of my good friends in the field of high performance peak performance Mr. Harvey Martin. Harvey, what's up, bro? How are you, man? It's good to see you. We have uh, we've had some awesome conversations over the last like few years now. I feel like, yeah, it's, we've kind of both grown in our yeah. our passion and now doing this full time, both of us. So it's been so fun to watch you grow and all the value you're bringing to people and the energy and yeah. the insights. Like I always, you're a great. You guys are a great follow in terms of just being positive and really looking at, at being your best from a, a few different angles. But uh, before we get into kind of what you do, I'd love to, for the, our audience to kind of know your like story. Your story is, is amazing from sure. having success, having some setbacks to, you know, having to live in a closet for a few years while you build this passion of yours. Maybe yeah. give us that, that whole thing. Go to the closet. Yeah, I'll start. I'll start with the closet. Those were the. Those were some. Those were some dark yet positive days. So I'll start there. No, I. Uh, so I grew up in Michigan. Uh, I went to Central Michigan. I transferred to Minnesota State. I was playing baseball. I was a baseball player by trade. Uh, went through there. I signed with the Milwaukee Brewers as a free agent. Which, uh, you know, I was kind of traveling around the country doing the thing, playing summer ball. I played college ball for, for six years. So I mean, if you you do that. You just sort of, I always tell people, like, if you're not in grad school in your sixth year, probably something went wrong, you know, so I didn't ideally plan on going to graduate school. I just had played college ball. I had some injuries. I had some red shirt, medical red shirts, all these sort of things. And I just, you know, things didn't work out the way I thought they were going to work out when I was younger. And so anyways, I, I dove into sports psych uh, a little bit and sport performance and whatnot, just because I was in college. And I was taking grad classes at Minnesota State, and they were building uh, what's called the center. I think it's still around now, but they were building this. And I was, I was taking these classes just to try to get myself into pro ball. I was, you know, 23 or 22 or 23 years old. 
And I thought to myself, well, I'll just take some graduate classes. I never planned on necessarily getting my master's degree. I just tried to take every psychological, mental game, mental training class because I figured, well, I work as hard as I can. I'm pretty good at the physical side of it. I do a lot of things like that. If I can have some sort of edge while I'm in class that helps me get to professional baseball, this is the most sense things have ever made sense. You know, so I, I did that and it was really fascinating because then I started liking class, which was interesting. I wasn't necessarily a big time student growing up and I just wasn't curious about things or I didn't know what I was curious about. I was curious about the mind always. It didn't really register with me until I got into grad school and started having some really fun mental games, sports psychology classes. Then I go to pro ball. If anyone knows anything about minor league baseball, it's not the most luxurious uh, financially gifted thing in the world. So I get into professional baseball as a free agent. I sign for $500, you know, and you make a few couple hundred bucks a month. And then in the off season, you make no money. So I did that for three years and I came out of that and I got released. And I remember the day I got released, no money. I'm 26 years old. Uh, I had 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 roots in Minnesota. Um, and my buddy, Steve McGuigan, and Tom Booski, who are actually big parts of MindStrong, Mash Performance, Mash Baseball, they were kind of building this baseball facility in the strength conditioning club that was doing pretty well. So I would train there in my off seasons. I'd coach. I'd make some side income when I could. When I got released, it was fascinating because the day I got released, they gave me a plane ticket to Florida where my parents lived. And I remember thinking to myself, well, why would I go to Florida where I don't have that big of a network? I don't know what I want to do in life uh, and I have no money, you know, so I would just live at home and kind of sulk and being released, you know, being 26 years old and being done with sports. And I knew I was done. I, I had opportunities to play afterwards, but long story short, I knew I wasn't going to play again. So I knew not to go to Florida. And I had Steve come and pick me up, actually. So he came and picked me up. I asked for my plane ticket in cash, and I put it in an envelope, and I had 600 bucks. And I remember when he came and picked me up in Wisconsin, drives me to Minnesota, my best friend from home, from Michigan, where I originally grew up, he put 600 bucks in an envelope. And so now we had $1,200. He took off as much time as he could at work, and we went and camped for like three, four weeks. And we just we spent five bucks on a campsite here and there. And we just kept going places. And that month of my life was when I was trying to figure things out. You know, what is life going to look like? What am I, what am I passionate about? What do, what do I want to do? And the one thing that I will credit my folks for and my family and, and people I grew up with and the way I've always been as a human, I knew that I would never want to work or do things that I didn't want to do. Like I've known that since I was a little boy and that's something I'm very proud of uh, as an adult. But when I was little, I just knew I would always live the way I wanted to live. That was my goal. So I spent that first month trying to decide how's this going to look, you know, how are you going to live? And it's scary. You know what that situation's like. You get out of sports. I have no idea what life looks like outside of trying to play major league baseball. So I realized, okay, well, I like sports. I like training. I love high performance. I love competitiveness. I love thinking. I love pushing. I love all this stuff. And I have some sort of a background in sports psychology and things in sports psychology didn't make sense to me. And that was the like the puzzle that I thought if I could help solve that or at least in, in, uh, pass the torch and enhance the field, that would be meaningful to me. So 
as this closet story plays in is I had a platform <laughs> at MASH in MASH Performance because they were teaching youth and high school athletes. And anyone that knows this field, it's pretty hard to, to have a living in it. It's very hard to have a living in it because you're trying to create and break through so many molds and framing and perceptions and all this stuff that goes with it. So, and not to mention I was poor and lived in a closet. So for me to tell you how to live life, it just wasn't seeming that, that successful, right? But I had a position in Minnesota where I could teach and work on my craft and that was what I did. So in 2015, I coached and taught and did mind strong mental training, human performance for free until 2018. So I did, I mean, I'd get some money here and there, but nothing really. And I just worked on my craft. And what was fascinating about that was in those years when I started and I was living in the closet, I was also very, as you can imagine, not doing well up here, right? So I was actually trying to teach people about mental game, yet I would go home and feel very inadequate as a human. And what was crazy about it was I didn't have any friends who weren't professional athletes. And so I met this guy at the gym one day who was not a professional athlete, did not care at all about sports, and he was a yogi. And I thought to myself, like, all right, man, if you're going to commit to this whole uh, open-minded curiosity breaking of your own identity, well, then you need to go and meet new people. So I met this guy, and he tells me about this guy named Wim Hof, who's an ice-cold, you know, breathing machine. And uh, the guy says, yeah, yeah, you got to do this breathing thing. And I go, well, tell me more because I'm really into what's called sports psychology. They talk a lot about breath work or breathing, if you will. And he goes, oh, yeah, tell me about it. And what was crazy about that was he wanted me to teach him and I didn't know what to teach. And so I was sitting there going, I guess I don't really know that much. Like I just try to meditate. I try to practice slow breathing. And I started going like, here was my whole career. I thought I knew about breathing. And the first time someone wanted me to teach them, I didn't even know where to begin. And that was a mind blowing situation for me. And what had happened was he said, well, then I'll teach you. And so that whole fall, summer into fall, 2015, he, we did breath work every morning for 16 weeks. I remember hiding it from everybody that I lived with. So they didn't know, you know, that's kind of a hard thing to break into if you don't, not anymore. But at the time, I couldn't, I couldn't think about how do people perceive me of doing this. But I did a meditation every morning. And after the meditation, I would take a freezing cold shower, all cold, I was all in and about halfway through that transition, I went from a very like, anxiety driven, depressive type identity shifting state out of sports. And I started shifting and it was wild. Like I was literally feeling my body shifting. I was feeling my mind calm down. I was feeling in control of situations. I'm an anxious, nervous person by trait. I would speak in front of people and things started becoming calmer. Not, I wasn't there yet, but it was getting better. And then that winter, I was so scared, but I wanted to challenge myself. So I sat in a lake here in Minnesota in the middle of December. Uh, and I went and did this breath work and I went into the lake up to my neck and I sat in this lake for seven minutes and I was able to control my state, my breathing. Uh, I was able to handle the cold and all sorts of cool things happened. But really in the intuitive sense was I remember that moment. I thought to myself, I'm going to figure out this breathing. I'm going to figure out how to coach it. I'm going to figure out how to make it progressive. And I'm going to add some objectivity to 
sports psychology in a way that I couldn't feel it. So how do I make it progressive? How do I give people tools? How do I see them, see themselves get better at it? And that was literally what happened. And I just, that winter, I just went all in. So that's what I'm going to figure out. I'm going to meet the people across the world who teach this. I'm going to learn in many cultures around it. I want to study it. I want to learn the history of it. I want to learn the science of it. And then I want to build my own system around it. And then that's what I'm going to teach. And, you know, as it went, now I'm in 2020. Uh, so this would be, what, five or six summers later. And that's what I do, full-time living. So now I just coach and train people on breath work. We do heat nice. We do movement, nutrition. We do a lot of nature stuff, if you will. And then uh, sports psych and self-awareness and mental training is, like, is, a, is the Taj Mahal of it. That's what we're trying to get. We're trying to objectify a higher level of awareness for you through all those tools. And, yeah. And this isn't just for athletes. Mm -mm. This is for everybody. Oh, yeah. So who, who are your, who are your clients? And when they come to you, like what, what's their like need? I mean, I'd love to hear, I'm hoping it's a variety of different folks. Yeah, man. So we do, I would say heavily the sales community finds a lot of benefit out of us. So we'll do a lot of like corporate stuff with sales teams. Um, I work a lot with coaches, teachers, uh, I've done some uh, doctors. I have a lot of doctors actually, when I think about that. So that community, those high stress, uh, high environments, Athletes is probably always going to be my baby in general. I, I would say 80% of my athletes or clients are athletes because that's my background. And then we're, you know, people talk to people and you just, you just kind of pass through that. Um, what's fascinating is I tell people every time I see them, like if you're an NFL football player, a doctor, a medical sales, a, a baseball player, it does not matter. Like performance is performance. Once you understand human nature, human behavior, then I know how to talk to you because it's like your craft is your craft by choice. You chose that craft and that's, that's awesome for you. Inside of that, being a performer, you need to learn your own nature, your own biology. And once you can understand that and shift gears, now, in my opinion, you have the most competitive edge across any field of performance. So you are just like everyone else. You're a human, a part of nature. And if you can understand nature and understand your own personal nature, now you actually get to take control of the field in which you chose. So it doesn't matter what, what you are. And I think I learned from you, it's not that the mind moves the body, the body moves the mind. Yeah. So right? it, can, can, can you give us just like a high level introduction? People who I, I don't really talk about breath a whole lot. So, and is breath, you're like your core pillar of your, of your philosophy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So give us layman's, maybe that high level why is the breath so important maybe start there and then we can kind of move on here are some actions or some tactics that that we can that we can use that's a great question so you want to look at breath as the is an involuntary thing which means it's always happening so that puts it in the category of your autonomic nervous system now if you can understand that breath is the only controller of the autonomic nervous system that you can voluntarily control so that right there should simplify it in the sense of that is your bread and butter. That is your most sustainable, consistent, controllable tool that runs the entire autonomic nervous system. So if you can be able to shift that, and the cool thing about breath is that research is very new. It just came out, I think I could be off on a date here, but I think 2012 was the first time they found scientifically that breath was connected to the brainstem. I could be off on that date, but regardless, it's still rather new that we have found out that breathing 
is directly connected to your brainstem and your lizard brain. So that's a position of telling you that the way that you think is actually paying attention to the way in which you breathe. So this is like the sense of CO2. If you are low CO2 tolerant, probably you're an overbreather. You're breathing too fast. You could be a mouth breather. You could have sleep problems, all these sort of situations, digestive problems. You know, mechanically, you could be a vertical breather. So you could breathe up into your auxiliary muscles, your neck, your shoulders. You see a lot of this in sports. You see a lot of that fast pace, upper chest breathing. All hey, of hey, Harvey, can I say one thing for the listeners? I hope you guys caught that. Yeah. I'm writing notes right now. The way you think directly is connected to the way that you breathe. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And if you're not aware of that, yeah. you are screwed. 100%. 100%. Okay, keep going. I just want people, you're giving us a lot of stuff. I want to just pull out the, yeah. the main concepts here. Yeah, well, that's what they need to grab a hold of. So the listeners need to hear what you just said and think about that because this is like breathing is linked to the whole chain. So it's like if I go into my lizard brain, my back of my brain, and I'm breathing too fast, well, then psychologically, now things start to pay attention. But it wasn't to your thought. It was to the way you were breathing. So it's a, I always use the analogy of if we went and ran sprints, if you and I went and ran 100 sprints, no number, we'll just run sprints. The first person that would lose their breath mechanically or cellularly, whether they're breathing mechanically poor or over-breathing, you would be the first person that your self-talk, your psychology would be triggered first. And as you know, your brain is triggered to survive. So that over-breathing, the second that that becomes too much, you're going to default to survival. So now since you're defaulting to survival, your brain is going to gather these sprints, this environment, purely out of life and death. And it's going to basically fall to the level of well, my breathing says, this is really bad. Now, if you don't know how to control that, it's going to become very bad. Your mechanics are going to break. You're going to start saying how hard this is. And then everything's going to default to survival. Motor skills are going to freeze. You're going to become worse than I am at sprinting. Now, if you can control that breathing and you can shift it down, you know, get down to lower the heart rate, shift your gearing system, stop wasting so much CO2 then you have control over taking back your mind. You can shift your psychology back to a fight mode, to an arousal state where I can compete in it, which is what performance is. So you have to do these movement things. You have to do nature, environmental stressors. You have to do mental training. You have to think. You have to, you have to do all this sort of stuff because you have to stress your breathing to learn the breathing. If I can know what my panic breath is, and I know that, and I'm aware of it, and I know how to shift out of it, then in my opinion, you would have the most competitive edge as a performer. Is that why you do like hot and cold? 100%. So it gets your body out of its normal state where it's like you're freezing and you don't want to do it. It sucks, but you have to be able to calm, train your, your body and your breath to calm it down. Yeah, because... Well, we use the cold a lot for respiratory rate. So, I mean, they know it's pretty clear with the science that respiration rate is linked to problem solving. So if you're a fast breather, your problem solving abilities go down. You become more emotional reactive. So what does cold do? (laughs) Right? It makes you breathe fast. So if I can get you into the cold and lower respiratory rate, one, your heart rate's going to drop with that, but you're also killing off weak cells, you know, in your muscle tissues. Everything panics. 
So if I can get you into the cold and I can lower your respiration rate and I can physiologically stress that and train you to be in a stressor, breathing slower, now I get into an event and I know what stress feels like. So I actually have the, I've felt stress. I need to go and feel stress. You know, so often we look at life as like, how do I avoid stress? No, I mean, you should be adapting from stress. Stress should be the objective of each day. Now the ability to choose stress would be power. So if I choose cold, well then now I chose stress. I'm gonna go and meet stress head on. I'm gonna learn it. What was the sensation? What was the feeling? What was the impact? What was the conversation? And if I can learn that and then know how to lower respiratory rate, decrease emotional reactivity, boom. I have an actual awareness tool and experience of stress in my body sensationally and I know how to shift it, which is what, you know, that's what everything is. If you, if you go into a meeting or a presentation or whatever you're doing and you get nervous, if you're not aware of the physiological sensations, your own nature, if you're not aware of what that feels like, then you're just emotionally reactive. You're just, you know, hang on for dear life. Hopefully it works out. But if you understand what your body feels when it gets nervous, when it gets anxious, if you can comprehend the feelings physiologically, that's your own nature. If you can understand that and you know how to breathe either up, down, shift, calm, still, all that stuff, then you have the gift of being a human, which is mental training, self-awareness, self-talk, all that stuff. You have the, that's what separates us from the animal kingdom is our ability to make Zoom podcasts and content and art. We get to do that, right? Because we're species of thought. So I want to have access to my thinking. And the only way to have access to my thinking is to have control of my physiology, my body. If I can control mm -hmm. my nature, then I have access to this gift. And that's what I want you to yeah. understand. So what I want to do right now is I, I want to get you help me get some buy-in from listeners. Some people are listeners have never even, they, I know I have to breathe. I know it's important, but I mean, I guess they don't know. I think you've kind of given us a little bit of overview of why it's important. Can you give us just a few bullet points on why we should train breath? Number one. Mm -hmm. let's just start there. I have another few. I want to really get some buy into this and I want, this is kind of a newer thought that we're not really talking about. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we do talk about it, but we don't talk about it into the detail and the research that, that you've done. And you maybe give us a few examples of some of the, the clients you work with when you taught them this stuff, they've reported back to you less stress or I'm able to handle fear better, or I'm more present in the moment, or I don't let one bad thing turn into a bunch of bad things. So I want to really quick, if you're not a believer yet, I'll, I'll just give one more layer of why this is vital. Just a quick summary, maybe an, an example that you can share. Yeah, so I mean, I would look at, well, most of the world, over half of our world is over breathers, very simply. You know, like uh, everyone's respiratory rate is extremely fast. And that has to do with uh, our diets, has to do with the way we look, the, our bodies, our, the way that we sleep has to do with all kinds of these things. I mean, sleep apnea is a CO2 intolerant deal. You know, and most people who have that, you know, you're, you're decreasing your tolerance to CO2. If you have a high respiratory rate, that means you overbreathe. That means you're gonna think faster. You're gonna have a bunch of autoimmune deficiencies that come along with over respiration rates. So you're a fast breather, 
tanker, your immunity is going to decrease and things are going to burn fuel, right? So that's going to be a negative. Um, you want to look at it as my ability to, the thing that I would just tell people is you as an organism, you as a whole, it starts as like a cell and every cell in your body is manipulated by oxygen. And so like a thing that if I'm a performer, if I'm listening to this, Anytime you get nervous, what leaves you first? Your motor skills, your arms, your feet, the things that you don't really need. I can get rid of my arm. I can't get rid of my heart and my brain or it's all over. So it's like, what is sports and performance and life played with? It's played with your motor skills. Well, so if my cells stop using oxygen, if I'm breathing too fast, you're not using oxygen, which I'll say this in a second, which would be really cool to understand. But my muscle tissue is going to default to freeze. That's when things start to plummet. Is that making sense mm -hmm. with, the, with the breathing part of it? Now, the part that I was going to say in terms of like why that's so valuable is because <laughs> if I can't use my oxygen, if you went and put a pulse oximeter on your finger right now, unless you have something wrong with you health-wise and underlying issue that you need to go get help for, Everyone is going to be saturated at 95 to 99% oxygen. And if you just go get a pulse meter at a Walgreens and put that on your finger, you're going to find out really quickly that you already have oxygen. So the mind blowing concept of breathing is that the whole age old saying of take that deep breath so you can calm down and why that never worked. Well, it never worked or works is because you already have oxygen in your system. You're already saturated. So your job to decrease breathing enhances your ability to have more CO2. I breathe in oxygen, I breathe out CO2. If I'm not breathing out CO2 all the time, that means CO2 is in my body. If CO2 is in my body, what oxygen holds onto is a thing called hemoglobin. It's a protein, so it goes through my body all day. If I have CO2, I need CO2 to break off oxygen. So it's actually breathing less is what uses oxygen. Instead of breathing more, you can't use, you're not offloading. So you actually need more CO2 in your body than more oxygen in your body. And this is why like breathing less would be the ticket. Breathing less would be your answer instead of breathing more. You're not bringing in more oxygen. You're already oxygenated. So we need to teach people how to breathe less, which is very simple for the, for the listeners happens through your nose compared to your mouth purely because it's a smaller hole, right? So if I have a smaller hole here and I breathe through my nose all day, that means I'm getting rid of less CO2. The less CO2 I get rid of, that means I use more O2. It also does a really fascinating thing. As you guys are listening to me, if you take a deep breath through your nose, you feel something move in your body compared to if you take a deep breath through your mouth, you'll feel things happen. Okay, you should feel your mouth makes your chest rise, where your nose, you feel the lower part of your body rise. Do you guys feel that at all? Yeah, I do, definitely. And, and so what's interesting about that is because of gravity, all of your oxygen low, lives in the lower part of your lungs, which is parasympathetic tone, rich, dense oxygen. So if I breathe in and out through my nose, I use oxygen. I take oxygen that's in my body, I'm getting rid of less CO2, so I'm gonna actually offload it into my muscle tissue. That means my motor skills work. That means my mind perceives things as safe. That means I can think, talk, move safely. 
okay, I'm not going to compensate. I'm not survival state. I'm not nervous. I'm calm and composed. I'm mechanically there. Now, if I breathe through my mouth and I'm in my upper chest, well, there's less oxygen in the top part of your lungs. Those that's sympathetic driven oxygen. So that's fight or freeze oxygen. This is why if all three of us were in the woods and I saw, we saw a bear, we would, and we'd stop and we'd breathe into our upper chest and we would breathe through our mouth because we alert our mind that fear and panic and scariness is right in front of us. So I need to stop, breathe in there, get that position and go. And the crazy thing is that's not just nature or bear, that's everything. So this is why you stop and pay attention before you cross a street, right? This is why if someone startles you and they walk into your house, you get in panicky, you breathe through your mouth, your vision gets very narrow. You start doing all this stuff because nature set you up to use breathing to tell your mind what to do next. And this is how you see this in the conditioning example I used. If we go in condition, the person who starts upper chest breathing, mechanics break, that person is psychologically going to be worse off than the person who's a stone cold breather. And that has nothing to do with endurance. That has to do with functional or dysfunctional breathing. That's it. So how about now number two of this question is that's really good stuff. I'm, I'm completely bought in. Now I'm thinking about daily training. Mm -hmm. So let's just not leave this to chance. We know it's important. Now let's get into systems, awareness systems and application. Mm -hmm. So what are some environments we should put ourselves into and what are some daily breathing habits we can do to start training this now? So I would listeners, this is when you're going to take notes. Yeah. Now we have the awareness, the why you should do it. Now coach Harvey's going to give us, here are some drills we're yeah. going to be doing to train like you did with your Yogi uh, <laughs> mindfulness. Yeah. And I really think there's so much brain science on mindfulness. The benefit, I think a lot of it is just connecting to breath. And yeah. slowing down your breathing and being in the present, what happens to your body? It's just positive cascade of events all across the your you know everything. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about some some drills and some environments we can start training every day to get in control. I love it. You said choose stress, mm -hmm. like choose stress. If you can do that to put yourself in these moments, when the actual stress happens, you, you know. have that awareness and and you have tools. Yeah. So environments we should put ourselves into and daily drills we should, we should be, be doing. Yeah. So, I mean, if you leave here with anything, the first thing you want to know is if you're outside of competition, that being if you're lifting, running, doing anything like that, breathe however you've been breathing. If you're not breathing in and out through your nose the entire rest of the day, and I'm talking about sleep too, then you got to start paying attention to your breath. You should be breathing in and out through your nose the entire day unless you are working out in competition training outside of that your nose should be the answer the nose wins out right then mechanically you want to breathe horizontally so you should be breathing wide uh breathing your lower part of your rib cage should be breathing out if you become really good at breathing you should be able to feel your back breathing into chairs when you breathe you shouldn't see anything above your nipples moving when you breathe i would simply Start by watching yourself in a mirror, uh, shirt off, and breathe, and watch how your body moves. If it if it's too if you notice anything in your shoulder, anything above your nipple, you're probably a vertical breather, right? You need to be able to breathe horizontally and breathe low. Okay. Now, if you struggle some with that, use the cueing of belly first, chest second, and then over time get out of belly first, chest second, get to just purely horizontal. 
Okay. And that can happen by just squeezing the bottom of your rib cage and breathing into that pressure. You should just be practicing those two things. So awareness to nasal breathing and then mechanically breathing low and understanding what your diaphragm does. You know, people don't, for more information on breath work, people don't realize your diaphragm is a full fledged muscle. And the fascinating thing about that is there's no nerve endings to your diaphragm, which is my opinion, nature set us up to, to have that discipline. Because if we go do bicep curls, I see my vein. You will not feel or see anything with the muscle, the diaphragm getting stronger. You can't, it, there's no nerve endings like there are with the, the, the chest or the bicep or whatnot. But your diaphragm sits in your rib cage like an umbrella. And when you inhale, it should expand and flatten out, which is why the lower part of your rib cage would go out horizontally. When you inhale, you narrow and it comes back up into that umbrella position, right? So I should be strengthening this thing all day, right? And that would be horizontally breathing. That would be breathing, you know, muscularly and strongly. We do a ton of that stuff, but that would be too intense. So what I would do is when you get up, you want to practice slow nasal breathing. The, the science of this would say five to six breaths per minute is, you know, the average, you should be at a 10 to 13 breaths per minute respiration rate. 17, 20, 22, that's too high. That's when you're going to start seeing those health things happen mentally or physically or emotionally. You should be in 10 to 13 range. If I'm going to practice breathing, I want to lower my breath rate to five to six which is like a five and a half cadence in, five and a half second cadence out. If you do that for a few minutes, five minutes or so, you know, now all of a sudden you start training the nervous system. In my opinion, you start training it for the day's battle. You start training the system to be able to relax the heart rate. HRVs are going to go up. We see that with pretty much all of our athletes. HRV goes up, resting heart rate improves, blood pressure improves. All this sort of stuff is a resemblance of slow breathing practices. Then what and, and I, Harvey, you can have your eyes open. You don't have to be closed. Just get just to a breathe. place where you're. Can you be lying down, sitting up? I'm yeah, gonna, lying down, sitting up is complete. You can stand. You can go for a walk if you want. It doesn't. The, that's another. That's a great point, Colin, because uh, people look at breath as you need to go sit in lotus pose in a cave. Like we're, I'm talking pure breath work and immunity and strength and and thinking patterning and all the sorts of. If you want access to that. You need to control the breath. You need to have the ability to shift state. And the best way to do that is learn it by slowing it down. Slow it down before your day even starts. And then there'll be times where you have to speed it up. And there's tons of Tumo meditation, Pranayama, uh, the Wim Hof method. Those would all be like fast-paced breathing styles. Beautiful time and place to do that for the context of this conversation. I would just want people to leave here knowing what their diaphragm does right? Realizing when you inhale, you should be expanding. When you exhale, you narrow down below here in the horizontally function. Most of the world is vertical breathing. You know, you're going to see that a lot with a lot of people. So they're up here, upper chest. That's all breathing muscles. You know, the intercostals, the diaphragm, that is all muscular. So if that stuff is not muscular, if it's not strong, when you get into competition, in whatever your competition is, if it's not strong, if the muscle is weak, you do not have access to clarity of thought. You do not have that accessible to you. So you need to practice that. Slow breathing is going to help that. Strengthening that diaphragm, any movements, having the diaphragm as a muscle stronger, all that sort of stuff 
is going to give you the access to what you train in your mind. Harvey, this is what I wrote down. I'm going to try to make this simple for everybody listening. This is kind of an introduction to the art and science of breathing, why it's important. I'm going to add these to my daily routine. I do a version of it, but I think I have more clarity. Breathe through your nose. Yeah. Be aware. Let's just start those smaller holes, right, than the big one. Um, number two, breathe low and wide. Just remember that nothing above the nipples when you're like in, intently training the breath, the art of breath. Number three is, you know, five to six breaths a minute for three to five minutes a day, walking, sitting, standing in the shower, get those reps in, um, train getting in control of your internal state, biochemistry, train that. So you can train calm, you can train being present, you can train that clarity, but just that's what I'm going to write down. Now, uh, a, a few more questions. Um, what environments can we put ourselves in to uh, simulate stress? So we can, like you said, chase or choose stress. Like other than cold, that may be the number one. Are there any other environments? Yeah, I mean, environmental stress is my favorite, uh, just because it, it, like heat, cold, uh, grounding, anything in nature, mountains, uh, anything like that. I mean, you can take it how you want to. I know we do some things that people don't need to do, you know, it's just fine. Uh, but environmental stress is so valuable to me because it's going to, what I love about heat cold is that you're forced to sit in it. So we know that cellularly, like you're strengthening things, you know, like for sauna, uh, sauna enhances norepinephrine the neurotransmitter of focus and concentration adrenaline those sort of things so if i can release that in my mind through heat stress and control breathing i'm actually going to take a high level of concentration into my life day to day which is i would argue is pretty competitively advantage you if you can do that right so same thing happens in cold right so if i can strengthen these cells i always look at it as i'm killing off the weak I want to use some sort of stressor where I kill off the weak so that only oxygen is left to get into my muscle tissue so that things are feeling good. You know, you also look at cold exposure triggers the vagus nerve, you know, so to think about the vagus nerve in terms of how we think, well, that's highly productive to how you think. So if I can trigger that and be able to do any sort of parasympathetic toning or strengthening through sympathetic stress, which is, you know, we're choosing that stress, then I'm adapted to a higher level of calm, a higher level of health, a higher level of clarity. So I want to stress the vagus nerve. I want to stress these sort of things. You can do that by working out exercise. Exercise is just movement, you know, go for walks, go for bike rides, and then work out, whatever it is. Breath work, same concept. But I, the thing is, the we're the only people, we're the only species on the planet who actually get to adapt. Like there aren't lions that go to a gym and get stronger. Like we get to actually choose a program and go, well, that will make me stronger, make me think better. I get to be the top of the food chain. The more that I do that, well, that's a stressor. You don't get the ability to adapt unless you stress. Now the goal of this is choosing the stress because if you don't, then you just stress the stress. And as we know, what's, what's, what comes with too much stress, anxiety, worry, uh, fear, regret, guilt, all this stuff. This is why you see the average, you know, the most prototypical athlete who has a bad game goes and does more T-work. You know, they go and do more stress. I did bad. I should probably go lift more tonight. 
well, that's fine, but you're running the risk of more stress on stress. There's no adaptation occurring, right? So that's not the ability to see things as they are. And that's what we have to comprehend. We don't just always sit in the ice for as long as we can. Absolutely not. There's a time and a place. Timing and dosage is very important here. It's like mental training, timing and dosage. Very important there. Same thing with breath. Yeah, how, how, how long should we be like hot, cold in contrast? And I, I do a cold shower, not all the time. I think this inspired me to do more cold shower. I love sauna. My uh, gym is closed, so I can't get into the sauna. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how long how long should we do the hot and, and the uh, cold? Well, so just like anything, right, you have to adapt. So the cold, you know, if you first go into a cold shower, you've never been in a cold shower, it's probably going to suck. You know, so you probably shouldn't go into a cold tub. You know, that's too much. You're going to burn too much fuel. It's too much stress. If you've never done a cold shower, I would start by finishing your, your showers on cold for about 20 seconds. So take your normal shower, finish on cold, 20 seconds, move on. Do that for the first week, then add 10 seconds. Second week, third week, add 10 seconds until you're comfortably at, you know, two, three-minute cold shower. Then we can look at a full body cold water immersion in a tub, uh, these sort of things, cryotherapy, all these cold therapies that you can do. You still want to adapt. It's the same thing with the heat. You know, you're not going to go into a 220 degree sauna if you haven't spent 30 minutes in a, in a 160, 170 degree sauna. We wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you. I would suggest you not do that to yourself either. You know, you want to adapt it just like any other program. You know, if you're not a runner, you don't just run a marathon. You got to adapt. So it's the same thing with cold. You want to look at cold and heat just like a weight room. You just want to adapt it. And I think over time, you'll know what you need and don't need uh, individually. I think you'll figure that out. Uh, so I wouldn't say there's like a perfect call. And, that's, and I'm just trying to speak broadly here. You know, if we knew your HRV and your physiology and I'd been training for a while, this would be way more direct. But for the context of this, I just would start with a, with a measurement, baseline it, and then track it. And what you'll find out is if there's a day where the cold is super cold to you compared to what it was the day before, that is the first sign of physiological awareness because now I can sit there and go, okay, how did I sleep? How was my nutrition? How has my breathing been? How have my connections been? You know, because if you're not feeling good in a cold that you typically feel, well, then physiologically, biologically, you are off somewhere in the chain of connection. And now we get the ability to ask direct questions that could help us. And also, it cold boosts your immune system, um, inflammation, and you're doing something that you don't want to do, and you do it anyway. So you're training that as well. Um, yeah. I want to touch on uh, Tanner T Money pre-call was talking about, you know, how do we use our breath to recover and to stay calm or if when we're in acute stress mm -hmm. if you're a surgeon if you're a sales professional in front of like a big client if you're a performer athlete you, there's a big moment and you're right in that moment you're just staring it right in the face and you feel the heart rate you feel the nerves come you just said something stupid in front of somebody you like a lot how do yeah. you recover or get control using breath team money is that right yeah yeah for sure i think definitely um, like I was saying, like when I'm on the golf course, how do I use my breath? I've been trying and you kind of answered it. A big thing for me was just deep breaths. But as you said, and I've learned that that doesn't really work. 
Um, so yeah, how do you use your breath to just calm down, get back to that neutral state of mind? Yeah. So a lot of what, that's great. And a lot of what we've been talking about one, this would happen before the golf outing, right. Or the golf event. So this is the point of design breath practice so that I know what gets me in and out. So you want to know that beforehand. Now the key is uh, extension of an exhale is a parasympathetic tone. I'm not going to say you're not going to, you're not going to necessarily drop a heart rate necessarily or uh, drastically or whatever. Um, but you can at least control arousal. So if I'm in competition, what I want to do is I want to be able to have some sort of uh, ideally nasal inhale because then I get that nitric oxide production. I get the offloading of the oxygen, which we talked deeply about. Ideally, I want to breathe in through my nose. Okay, now to be able to have a good inhale, I got to have good exhales. So the key there would be how do I inhale through my nose with a slight pause and then an extended exhale through my mouth if I'm super stressed. If I'm not that stressed, it's pre-event, post-event, re relaxation time, then it would be all nose. But if I'm in game, I would use the mouth to extend and exhale. I, people use counts like four seconds in, pause, seven seconds out. I've heard four, eight. I've heard three, six. I, I think that when you're in game or in competition, it, it doesn't, I don't think having a count makes sense. I think the goal is to extend your exhale. Uh, using the mouth, you offload more CO2, maybe it's wasteful, whatnot it is. And then the ability, if you guys pay attention to that, when I take those good, calm, strong exhales through my mouth and I'm breathing low, that sets me up to breathe in through the nose and not be up into my neck or my chest. And I'm not strangling that vagus nerve. I'm not stressing out that lizard brain, that survival state of me. I can breathe in peacefully through the nose and set myself up to positionally go back into performing. Does that help? Yes, for sure. And Harvey, I'm still thinking low and wide nose. Always low and wide and extend the exhale. That long exhale signals your subconscious. You're not in danger. Right. 100%. That's why you do like soft tissue work when people do like rolling out and they roll out maybe tight muscles or whatever. Uh, that's why you program them to breathe out longer. Because you're telling your subconscious, this my quad is safe, my groin is safe, my shoulder is safe. So yeah, the extension of an exhale is teaching that brain that the environment is safe, which is now you're using physiology to enhance psychology. I love it. And as we wrap up, Harvey, again, great content today. I'm taking notes. I'm going to go back. I'm going to implement a lot of the stuff that, that you talked about. Um, let's talk about your MindStrong Project monthly program. If you, people want more... Uh, maybe talk about the how you, why you got started, what it looks like, what what you what you teach. Yeah, man, awesome. So yeah, we have a membership just so we can be able to help more people. It's something where you know I, the stuff that we're talking about. I'm obviously extremely passionate about. I'm a deep believer in breath work and training and performance. It's something that means a lot to me. So. We're trying, in our membership, it kind of gives us access to reach more people where we're not with them in person. I mean, there's time is time. So, I mean, I'm kind of, we're wrapped up a lot with people that we work with individually and teams and whatnot. So how do we still help people and give them a platform to learn off of? That's the concept of our monthly membership. So that's all going to be virtually for the time I know it. I know I have a dream of being able to have our workshop workshops be live hopefully with COVID and whatnot as you guys know maybe we'll see what happens in the future but how our work how our membership works is 
basically you're going to learn all the things we're learning in the categories of breathing, nutrition, movement, sleep, cold heat, uh, nature, and then thought experiments where we're just kind of coming up with wisdom videos or anything that we're thinking about psychologically. And we'll train you through that. The premise of the membership is going to be surrounded around breath work. So each week you'll have a different protocol. It's going to be just like being in a gym. You're going to progressively get a new protocol every single week. So it'll say breathing protocol of the week, nutritional tip of the week, movement of the week. Uh, and that could be walking, running, any sort of movement that you could imagine, heat and cold of the week. So we're basically going to program out your week. Now I designed it to be able to train you outside of whatever you do. So you could be an athlete, a, a doctor, whatever you do, it should be able to funnel into your life uh, pretty easily. You know, it shouldn't be something that you feel like you have to aggressively, you know, go and do on top of what you're already doing. It should just be able to help simplify things. And then we'll have our research articles and the things that we're studying. I'm on the board of the Sauna Research Institute. Uh, with Dr. Yari Lukanen's on there, uh, John Saves. These are some big players in the sauna world. They have some of the, the, the Rhonda Patrick's with Dr. Yari all the time. Uh, so Sauna Research Institute does a lot of our heat and cold research. Uh, so you'll be figuring out what we're finding there and how to use cold, why to use cold, why to use heat, yada, yada. And then every month we have a Zoom meeting where I'll speak. So we'll be able to actually have some interaction. Uh, and then it'll also incorporate our team members, which are guys across the NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, who will speak on behalf of leadership, ways that they're using breathing, the way that they're using our practices into their specific craft. And then we have an advisory board. So those are nutritionists, they'll be doctors, sleep doctors, uh, mental, you know, mental psychology, all this sort of stuff, uh, strength and conditioning they'll also come on every month and, and basically do a Zoom. So that'll be for members only too, so type deal. So you'll be able to hear from us directly and then you'll also be able to follow week by week and then none of it leaves either. So you'll have like a data, data filing cabinet of all of this science research backing up uh, what we've done and what we've learned. I love it, man. Thanks so much. I would say my, my last question would be, what is your final thought or a final nugget? Your number one key for us to hold on to, and then any resources we can go to, books, articles, journals that we can, um, videos. So last final thought, what's vital to master your mindset, maybe you're gonna, I'm guessing the art of breath. And then some resources that should go to either a book or someone's account on IG we should follow. So any resources, aside from following you guys on IG and on all your platforms, maybe those, that's like my last kind of question for the, our listeners. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, well, <laughs> in the moment right now, Dr. Belisa is doing some great work. She's one of my mentors and role models. Uh, I actually am going to talk to her in a little bit here today, but she's, uh, she's a beast. She's got a book, Breathing for Warriors, out there. It's going to be deeply in the mechanic side of it. Um, so that'll be sweet. Uh, you know, I think if you're, if you're interested in breath work, I would just I would just study nasal breathing and study what that does to you. But then I would also, if you have any metrics or anything that you can track, uh, I would do that for a month, practicing purely nasal breathing and see what happens to your numbers. I think that'll kind of do enough for you in terms of uh, uh, the resources that you want. And then and, I mean, and Harvey, I'm gonna stop you there. What 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 tools will we use to to to, to measure that? 
I guess well, if it doesn't know people, anything. Yeah, a lot of people use like HRV monitors, your uh, heart rate monitors, your trackers, your Apple watches, those sort of things. I mean, train yourself doing nasal only warmups and then turn yourself into can you do nasal only workouts? Do that for a month, see how you do. You know, I do mouth tape at sleep every night. So if you're a mouth breather, uh, tape your mouth shut and uh, sleep breathing through your nose only. Watch what that'll do to you. That'll, that'll probably help. You'll see some stuff on that as well. Um, James Nestor is a beast. He's a, a guy that is really blowing up in the breath field as of right now, uh, doing a lot of the history of breath. Uh, so he teaches that. And then, I mean, Wim Hof is just the, uh, Wim Hof is, uh, is, he made breathing, you know, worldly famous. So I think cool. he made breathing cool. Yeah, he made it very cool. So I can't, I don't, I think anyone in my position who's in the breathing field, uh, I would study that. And then Nick Heath, Dr. Nick Heath is a guy breathing for diabetics. I believe it's his system. He completely shifted his diabetes and symptoms of diabetes through nasal breathing. Uh, you, you can learn some stuff through him as well. Great people. That's it. And this is a basic concept, man. Winners do what non-winners are not willing to do. Are you willing to do what it takes to get the edge, to do something different, to try something new, to add a new tool to your toolkit to optimize your performance, your focus, your endurance, yeah. and being your best? Um, anywhere we can find you, give us the handles. Give us where we can sign up to the MindStrong Project Monthly and follow you guys. Yep. So you can just, uh, I'm on, we're on Instagram and Twitter at the MindStrong Project. Uh, you can find us online, obviously, mindstrongproject.com. You'll see all the circuits for the memberships on those. You'll see who's speaking every month or so on Zooms and whatnot. And then I try to, I try to get as much information out there as I can on what we're learning uh, and what we do and what we teach. You can kind of follow along with that. Obviously, we're on the Facebook and LinkedIn. So I, yeah, we should be on all that stuff. And then for my personal, uh, that's just Martin underscore time 15 Harvey Martin. I got to figure out how to change that handle, but just look Martin for Harvey time. Martin. Let's go, baby. <laughs> no. And uh, on my personal, you're going to get more of my personal thinking, my philosophies. So it'll be more maybe esoteric science put together stuff that I'm tinkering with or studying uh, and a lot of my own thoughts. Whereas Mindstrong is going to be more of what collectively we're talking about and teaching as a whole. Um, well, Harvey, I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so proud of your grit, your focus, your, your love of human beings. I mean, it's so genuine, your care for people and your growth. And um, I love the fact that you had a dream started from kind of this uncertainty. Who am I? And you went all in on that passion. You're learning every day, you're growing every day, and you're providing what you're learning to the world and you're making the world a better place. So people, if you want to be your best, check out what Harvey and the boys are doing at the MindStrong Project. But Team Money, you know how we end every episode. The body has limits. But the mind is limitless.